Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by MarketingForAttorneys.com, helping attorneys and law firms clarify and upgrade their marketing and messaging to help grow their firms while reducing reliance on pay-per-click advertising. Visit MarketingForAttorneys.com to book your free consultation today. My guest today is Ryan Roy. Ryan is a husband and father to two young boys ages three and nine. He's the owner of Justify or Just Do It Coaching, focusing on accountability and taking action. He's the author of the Amazon best-selling book, Be the Dad You Wish You Had. His current project is FBI Dads. And no, that's not about law enforcement. FBI stands for Fathers Being Involved. It's a program that helps fathers have a deeper connection with their children. Ryan has even created a special offer for our audience today to get a free download of what he calls the Dad's Daily Four, so you can have a deeper connection with your children in just four minutes a day. Listeners can access that at fbidads.com slash Pacifico to get their free download today. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you for having me on the show. I'm really excited to uh, be here and uh, share a little bit of wisdom, hopefully, and a couple golden nuggets and impact your audience in a positive way. I love that. Ryan, you had some really difficult experiences growing up that made you fearful of becoming a parent yourself. So what was that like and how were you able to transform those traumatic experiences into having a positive impact on the world by helping other parents? Wow, that was a big question. Well, well, first, the if you would, the traumatic experience, which I think all of us at some level have something that happened to us in our childhood is I, I was actually abandoned by my father at age five. And it was right before Christmas one year. And, and basically, my mom shared with me as I was sharing with her what presents I wanted under dad's tree and what presents I wanted under her tree from Santa Claus. She shared with me, I'd no longer be going back to my father's. I, I had a, a challenge with a, a single mom as a growing up. There were some challenges or some financial challenges, becoming a man and not having that male role model. I had older siblings that got into a lot of mischievous behavior, we'll call it, got in and out of trouble. And I didn't want to do that for my mom. So I stayed away from that stuff. But it affected me so much that even growing up, once I became a young adult, I consciously made a decision that I didn't want to be a father myself. I was in and out of relationships with women who wanted to get married and I didn't know what a healthy relationship looked like. They wanted to have kids and I didn't want to fail a child the way I believed I had been failed because it, it wasn't a fact that I didn't think I'd be a good dad. I didn't know that I could be a good enough partner that I could be in a solidified 
relationship until one day I met my wife. Things changed for me. This is someone that I thought I could grow old with. But there's something very early on in the relationship as we started to uh, fall in love with each other is she asked me a, an important question. She asked me and I already knew I had a fear around becoming a, a father. I said, she said, what are your thoughts around children? And like any smart guy who's falling in love and doesn't want to say the wrong thing, I said, what do you think about children? <laughs> and she said, the doctors told me I had a less than 5% chance of ever bearing children due to something that happened to her earlier. And I'll tell you, I did like a fist pump and a backflip in my head because here's a woman <laughs> I'm falling in love with uh, that is not ever going to be able to, in my mind, have me face my greatest fear. And that is becoming a dad. So not too long after that, I proposed. So not too long after that, we eloped and got married. And I remember on our wedding night, she says, so what are we going to do about this kid thing? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's no chance. And I'm like, let's just have fun. There's no big deal. Whatever happens. And six weeks later, we were pregnant. <laughs> wow. So I'll go into that story a little further. So in that moment, I was happy that I was about to become a father, but also scared to death. And in that moment, I decided that not only was I going to not be like my father, which was absent, I was going to be the opposite. I was going to be fully present. And I really had to study what that looked like because I didn't have that. I literally Googled, what is a good father? I literally started reading parenting books about being a good dad. I, I, I asked the doctors tons of questions. My friends that I had trust and faith in that demonstrated what I thought was to be a good father traits to their own kids. I asked them tons of questions. And so much so that the title of my book down the road that I wrote when my son was about five was, it, it boils down to this for me, be the dad you wish you had is the title of my book, but you have to define that for yourself. Mm, I love that. And I love your emphasis on being present because I think especially these days that's it's more difficult than ever i remember growing up like my dad he'd come home from work and he always pretty much always made dinner from scratch every night old italian family you know how that goes in the kitchen and yeah uh, but one of the things he would do he'd he'd get the local newspaper he'd lay it out on the counter and he'd just start reading that kind of front to back and it it was almost like a very zen practice because you could come up to him, like dad, dad 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 you know and he could just tune kids out like none other. And that's why it's always funny to me. People talk about the distractions of smartphones and things like that. And I'm like, oh, man, like my dad could do that analog. <laughs> like you didn't need a smartphone. No problem. It's a smartphone. <laughs> exactly. But it is so much more. And then the other thing is that a newspaper is not interesting to a child by and large. Maybe the, the color comic section on the sun, Sunday paper. But by and large, you're just like, it's just a wall of text. But a screen, yeah. I have got a five and a seven-year-old, and especially the five-year-old, he sees everyone just looking at screens What everywhere you go, every adult, just a bunch of monkeys, a bunch of primates staring at a screen. And so it's like, oh, that's, these things are important. Having, having your own screen is important. I should want a screen. And they, it's just, it's so subtle, but such a huge shift. And I was born in 83. So I still, I'm a zennial. I still had the analog childhood, grew up with the internet as it all came of age. But my sister born in 1990, you know, she can't remember not having an 
the internet, whereas I can remember not having a computer. And now my kids, it's, they grew up with instant FaceTime. And I'm divorced now, and I thank God for FaceTime because it's, they can, when, we're at, when they're at the other parent's house, they can still FaceTime with us. We still get to be involved in their lives on a daily basis. And so the communication's a bit better than if you lived miles or different states or anything in the past, and it was much harder to connect. But yeah, just like managing that screen time and managing those distractions, it's so much harder to be fully present, you know, because they've had studies now where they say, that it actually doesn't matter the amount of quality time you spend with your children. It's the quality that matters. So if you just spend 15 minutes a day with your kid, but you're fully present, no phone, no distractions, you're just focused on them. It's, it's incredible how powerful that is versus constantly checking your phone. You can spend hours and hours with them, but they notice that you're focused on something else and it can have such a detrimental effect on their behavior. Yeah, and to that point, one of the things I do with my kids, uh, because I'm, I'm no different than any other adult. I run my business through my phone, essentially. I run my business through my computer, so I have uh, screens. And one of the things I always say to my kids, uh, especially my nine-year-old, because, Dad, hey, can I share this with you? Can I share that with you? But yesterday was the last day of school for him, and so he's home. And it's one o'clock, and he comes down to my office. He's like, when are you done? <laughs> and I said, listen, look at my calendar. He always knows I have a calendar. And I said, look, dad's not going to be done anytime before 430, but it's leaning towards six o'clock tonight. I go, if everything goes smooth, it's 430. And he just wants that attention. So I create those boundaries because at six or 430 or when I'm done, my idea is I want to put down my phone so I can give you dedicated time. And sometimes you have to let them know I need to take care of this to take care of that, but you got to follow through. In our house, dad's word is gold because I don't want to lie to them. I don't want to tell them, hey, I'm going to put my phone down and not do it because then they start lying to me. Yeah, that's so powerful. And it just it's so much of parenting, really, once they're, they can actually converse with you is really just managing expectations, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's so powerful when you look at relationships and you look at things like love languages, Right. Which like you can be in relationships with people that you're madly in love, but you don't communicate it properly for the other person's love language. And then it can just die on the vine. Like it just it doesn't matter because you're not reaching each other. But I think what's fascinating about kids is basically until you get to a certain age, every kid's love language is quality time. Right. Like, there's certainly kids that like are more into physical touch than others. And of course, every kid loves gifts. So you don't want to make them like mindless consumers or stuff like that. But it's that quality time. It's just it's the thing that gives belonging and significance, which every child craves. And so if you can focus in and spend that quality time with them, it's, it's incredible how little time it actually takes. Right. Like little as 10 or 15 minutes a day can or make four minutes a day or four minutes a day can make <laughs> such a dramatic difference in in behavior because everything everything a child does is just a reflection of what you've done to them just like a dog is so it's all how you've treated them whether you're paying enough attention to them you're just going to get back what you have given or have not given and so if you haven't given attention they're going to do crazier and crazier things to get your attention they're going to start bothering you and annoying you and it's, you can really just make a good investment of time that's really focused and dedicated and it, it makes all the difference in the world so tell me about the tell me about the dad's daily four what's involved how do you go through that so the dad's daily four is something that i was actually i think i was at a men's group at church one evening and they held this dad's event and these are things i was already doing and somebody put it on a little business card if you would they said you got to say these three things 
to your kids, you say to them often, they didn't even say every day. And I'm like, these are things I say every day to my kids and, and multiple times a day. And then I added my own on there. And it's something that I actually do at the FBI dads events, the fathers being involved events that I do, but they're very simple, right? But not always easy to do. And the very first one, I think kids in general, especially from past generations, didn't hear the words, I love you from their dad. And it just needs to be that, I love you. And say it in your words and in your actions. But there are so many generational curses where men didn't hear it, or dad said, they know that I love them. I provide food for them. I provide shelter for them. They got to know that I love them. But it doesn't hurt to say it. So the first one is, I love you. And that takes all of two seconds to say. But say it genuinely. Say it when they go to bed. Say it when they wake up. Say it when they've done something that you didn't approve of. Hey, I don't appreciate that you just hit your brother. And you're stern with them and maybe there's a punishment. Just know daddy still loves you. So I love you. Another one is I believe in you. Like kids need to know that their fathers believe in them and their abilities. So for instance, my son's in baseball and he didn't get his batting average this year and the season just ended was a cool crisp. It was a very perfect three numbers across the board and it's zero, zero, zero. He didn't get one hit this year. He got on base, he got walked, he had runs batted in because he popped out and somebody tagged up. And so he had success. But if you look at that one stat line, he didn't have success. And every time we went to practice or to a game, I'd be like, today's your day, you're going to get a hit, man. I believe in you. Dad, I haven't had one. It doesn't mean it can't happen. It doesn't mean I don't believe that it's going to happen. If I believe it, I know it can happen. So tell your kids you believe in them. Another one is I trust you. I hear parents all the time, I can't do that because I don't trust you to do it. What do you mean you don't trust your kids? If you tell them constantly you don't trust them, guess what's going to happen when they're te teenagers? They don't trust me anyway. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. Because no matter what I do, there's no trust. So let your kid, when it's age appropriate, hey, dad, can I crack the egg in the brownies? No, I don't trust you could do that. Or you say, yeah, you want to crack the egg in the brownies? You're three? Go for it. What's the worst thing that could happen? It falls on the floor. Uh, a shell gets in there. We dig it out. Maybe you have to throw away the whole batch. But I trust that you have the ability to do it. And a big way to gauge that for kids is if they're asking to do it, they believe they can do it. And if they believe it, who is it? Who are we as parents to tell them, no, they're incapable? Give them within reason the reins to do it. And then the last one, and I do this at dad's events. I have the dads in the audience do this. I want you to finish this sentence with your kids. I happen to do it. It's in my book. It's a chapter in my book called Daddy Talk Time. I do it at the end of the day every day. I do it five times, but I tell my kid every single day, kids, I am proud of you because, and I finish the sentence. And it's really easy for me to do that five times over because I'll talk to them in the car. We talk at the dinner table. We talk when they wake up. And I hear about their day and I gauge, man, that's really good. I'm glad. My son just told you finished school. Everything's digital now. So he got his grades. He got straight A's. And last night's daddy talk time, it was, man, I am so proud of the effort you put through in this difficult year of COVID and all the changes that you still maintain straight A's. So proud of you. And I don't think men, dads, parents in general, say these things enough to their children and it takes three to four minutes a day and if you want to spend more time doing that so be it but it doesn't take a lot of time to empower your kids with those positive affirmations daily
Oh, oh, I love that. Sounds that's life changing. And just uh, not only for your children, but like how much better you'll feel as a parent, the confidence you'll build and the ability to just get through about anything, right? Because like you said, what's the worst that can happen? I started cooking when I was five years old, learned how to use a stove and, and everything like that. And it just gives you know, that sense of autonomy, right? Because like, we're not raising kids, we're, we're raising future adults, and yes. you've got to set them up for success. And if you make the world seem like a big, scary place where they have to have their hands held on everything, that's like Maria Montessori said back in the day, like never do for a child what they can do for themselves, because you're just taking away their autonomy, you're taking away their confidence, and you're just making your own life more difficult, because like, they can actually handle it. So as soon as you can hand things off to them, hey, let them go, like, off to the races. Kids, kids want to engage. So my three-year-old just yesterday, I went outside. I don't even remember what I needed to do. But he's, Daddy, can I water the plants? And it's on the back end of the house. I was in the front. I was like, here, let me go turn on the hose. You got it. Daddy, can I get wet? I'd prefer you not to get wet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you happen to get a little wet, it's not going to be upset. Uh, but I give him that responsibility at three. I come back. There's a river in my backyard because he's just watering one plant. It's going down. <laughs> but he feels empowered. I gave him. He asked. I allowed him. He can't really get hurt. And while I did what I needed to do in the front yard, I knew he was preoccupied with uh, an assignment that he feels proud to do. And then I come back and I'm like, that's awesome. You took care of that one. Can you take care of that one and that one and that one? Oh, okay, Dad. But what did I do first? I didn't say, why are you only watering one? I said, no, you did an awesome job, buddy. Because there's going to come a point where I need him. We're going to pass that chore off to him. And if he feels bad about that because I, I criticized what he did, he's not going to want to go back and do that. But if I empower him, man, that's awesome. Can you do this and this too? Yeah, it feels good. Dad said I did something good. So can you go and do this also? And then he's encouraged to do that. He feels good about doing that. And I think the opposite oftentimes happens. Oh, you didn't do it right. He's three. He's not supposed to know how to do it. Yeah, it's insane. The expectation most parents you know, have for their kids. But encouragement really is just like the, the secret weapon of parenting. But the more you can encourage kids through things, it helps manage your own stress levels. And it just gives you a better perspective on what's actually happening. Because like you're yeah, you come into a situation like that and what do most parents do? What the hell are you doing? How could you have done this? And it's just, what was the point? It's just your own inability to manage your emotions, which is one yeah. of the biggest problems in parenting. And it, it's hard to even blame parents though, right? Because if no one teaches you how to be a parent. It's probably the biggest missing link in education in this country. Like it's something you should probably learn in school but you should definitely we should be subsidizing positive parenting courses like when you leave a hospital when you register a birth certificate for a child you should be like oh here you go they, they have stuff in sweden right where they give those like birthing boxes it's okay you got your year off now and here's some different stuff to like you know, it's more like physical things to like just help you with the early stages of parenting you know, like a swaddle or whatever else but really if we just gave everyone a parenting course and this stuff is life-changing because it, it doesn't just make you a better parent it makes you a better person it makes you have better interactions with other people because it teaches you all about the things that matter for human psychology and development and because every we wouldn't have to be talking every day to adults about healing your inner child if we weren't messing them up so much in the first place like i said i was born in 83 like i got spanked growing up probably deserved it plenty of people plenty of my friends had it worse yeah. like i never had i never got a belt or a switch or anything like that plenty of friends did that but mm -hmm. i didn't have it nearly 
as bad as my parents and being raised by like parents from the Great Depression, they were just beating the hell out of their kids. But then to my parents, it was like, oh, spanking is better parenting. Spanking is the humane option. But then for me, it was like, oh, I'm never going to spank my kids. Thousands of millennia of humans and primates hitting their children that stops with me but then once you do that we have so much more information now that you're like oh that's actually like table stakes that's actually not that impressive what you really need to do is stop the emotional trauma like i i can make a look right at my kids that could bring them to tears on their own and it's like being able to refrain from like giving your kids even like a harsh look or speaking to them harshly or yelling yelling is We now have tons of evidence that yelling is hugely traumatic. It can be just as traumatic as physical abuse, but people don't think of it that way. So we have a lot of people in our generation that are like, oh, I got spanked and I turned out fine. And it's like, no, you spank your kids. So like you're committing child abuse. And just because you were abused as a child, like you're seriously still messed up. But I think there's so much room to improve and there's so much we can do to better educate people that like, hey, parenting could be way easier than it is for you right now. If you just do these simple things like giving your kids more attention, like connecting them on with them on a daily basis on a deeper level. Yeah, and, and you make a lot of great points. And, and as a profession, I'm a coach. What I've learned is I can't help anybody who's not willing to help themselves. So many Absolutely. times people say, hey, you, I, I, I want to refer this person. They could really use your services. You did a phenomenal job with me or, or I saw the results you had with this person. And I say, are they open to coaching? And I'm like, well, I don't know, but I know you could help them. And my immediate response is if they're not ready to receive, I can't help them. And and then here's the other thing is people default to what they know. And we only truly know what we experience. And our experience is if we were hit and because we love our parents and we turned out quote unquote, okay, we justify because we don't want to call our parents child abusers. So the reason my book is titled Be the Dad You Wish You Had, because too many men or too many parents, even women do this, I'm never going to be like my mom. I'm never going to be like my father. I'm never going to do that. And they don't clearly define what they're actually going to be. And if we don't define what we're going to be or what we're going to do, it's real easy to say I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. But what are you going to replace it with? And too many people don't replace it with whatever the behavior is that's opposite of that. And because they don't, they often default to what they know. And that's usually what they experience. And that dad who said he would never spank his kid that didn't define what he would do. I'm going to look him in the eye. I'm going to sit him down. I'm going to talk to them with love. I'm going to hold my emotions. Maybe I, I, if I feel a temper coming on, I'm going to step away and then come back when I'm calm. Those are all things they could do. They default to what they know. And then they end up picking up their kids, spanking them on the butt. And then they go, why did I do that? I would never, I I said, I I vowed I would never do it because they never clearly defined what they would do. And that's why I say, and you acknowledge it. So thank you for that. As I said, my my father was absent and I'm going to be fully present. And I have a laundry list of things that I have defined for myself on paper in my journals as to what it looks like to be a good father. And I try to hold myself to that high standard but I know I'm not perfect. 
No, I love that. And like actually defining what you're going to do versus just defining acknowledging like against the negative, right? Like you can just say, yeah, I won't do this. But it's like in the absence of that, what is your guiding light? Like what is the thing you fall back on? Because yeah, like you said, like eventually you will fall back on that thing you don't want to do if you haven't set some other structure up in place. And it is really hard because I think people tend to take parenting criticism so much more deeply like it's just an indictment of you as a human being but it's yo no one ever taught any humans how to do this we've only learned in like the last hundred years how to really do this better uh and evolve our society to a point where we can like research better practices and put you know thoughts into like mindful and positive parenting but like you said you can't help someone that isn't ready, that doesn't want the help, that can't acknowledge that their parenting style might be counterproductive. I think that's the one thing that always blows my mind is people that do things that engender behaviors in their children that they get mad at the children for. And it's like, they just do that because of what you taught them to do. And it, to me, it is literally no different than dog training in a lot of ways. Because a dog is 90 to 99% just a reflection of their owner. Whether it's like you've got anxiety issues, so you have an anxious dog, or you have a lot of fear issues, so you have a fearful dog, or you're Mm -hmm. an asshole, so your dog's an asshole. It goes all different (laughs) ways, and you can do the same thing with your children. It's like kids aren't born like just like terrible people or something like we we make children into the terrible adults and we don't have to do that there's different ways of doing things and i mean i remember in the military i'd have a lot of leaders that would say things like i did this so you have to too and so this is total bullshit we shouldn't actually have to do this thing sorry you had to go through that it should actually That's why I never be joined the military <laughs> well, i am very defiant authority there. i bucked the trend way too many times in my life to have somebody tell me i need to do it because they told me to do it. So. <laughs> yeah i'm very much the same way i only lasted uh, about six six and a half years in the army but you find it was like okay i gotta get out of here because <laughs> it's just i mouthed off too much to get in too much trouble yeah not big on authority figure and it's basically 100 percent authority and they're like what the hell who the hell do you think you are <laughs> it's just like uh i don't know a free thinker what do you, what do you want from me this is silly but yeah parenting it's so similar in a lot of ways because it's just yeah i did this so it's fine to do to my kids because I, I did that it's like your inner child is crying out for for help and you could actually be better to your own children than your parents were to you and it doesn't have to be an indictment of who you are as a human being even people like ourselves that are working to be better parents we're not perfect we we still you know have moments where we might lose it we might yell whatever but it's always trying to return to that center being peaceful being positive trying to encourage your children trying to be better because if you show up and do that everything will work out fine you don't have to be a perfect parent in every moment nobody is but they're gonna have challenges that they face in life you're gonna have challenges but ultimately if they have more positive experiences than negative hopefully they have a more positive than negative life and hopefully they learn to make choices the best choice for them in the moment i'm a big person and i tell my kids all the time there's consequences for your actions positive and negative ones so my son you know had a rough go of it at the beginning of the year with his grades he's very capable and i said listen there's consequences like you get good grades, right? It's, school's not the best thing in the world. Daddy didn't always love it. I'm honest with you. You're not supposed to like love it, but you got to do it. So if you have to do the work, you may as well do it to the best of your ability because uh, that's the expectation around here. And the only thing I want that for you, I, the grade is not even the end result for me, but I know you could get good grades. The actual process for me is what's important. 
I want you to give your all because if you give your all, you're going to get the result. But if you get in this world of mediocrity, of just giving just enough, you're going to go out into the world and give just enough. And guess what? You're going to fall short. It's not going to be enough in a lot of scenarios. So just show up to the best of yourself. And and I think too many parents are allowing kids to slide. I, I know parents that, that personally I know that did their kids schoolwork when they were in virtual school. Uh, they're like, I just, I feel like they're falling behind and I don't want them to fall behind. So what are you teaching your children by doing their schoolwork? Because they're going to be a test at the end of the year that they're not going to be able to pass. But they're so worried about that criticism from other parents that they'd rather cheat their kids than actually empower their kids to take ownership and study a little harder. So there's so much that in this parenting thing, I'd rather my kids fail hard now in my presence than gift them the gifts of maybe a good grade because I did their work and then fail the rest of their life. And I know there's a generation out there that a lot of people are living in their parents' uh, basements and addicts are coming back with a tremendous amount of student loan debt. And, and there's no judgment here, but that's not going to happen in my household. Yeah, I think there's, especially like in Generation X, but especially in like the boomer generation, there's a lot of widespread, like just fears of failure and stuff that would then, that then just gets transposed onto the children. So like you'd have parents intervening to just make sure their kids wouldn't fail. But it's if you do that up through, if you do that starting in like elementary school or whatever, like up through high school, you're not following that kid to college. <laughs> and, so, and so like eventually that kid's going to get punched in the face by the real world in whatever form. And then it's, oh, wait a minute. I'm in charge of my own destiny and I have to actually take care of business. Like my parents aren't going to do that for me. But people tend to like that are raised that way end up extending that farther and further. And it's just, it's so toxic because it just holds you back from being like a fully realized human. People don't realize they're doing it. An example that's coming to my mind is I was around a parent that, my son's a little bit older and my son was walking at nine months old and the mom said, Hey, how do you, what did you do? And her son was 16 months at this point and still not walking. And I was like, well, I know we did a lot of exercises. I did a lot of core muscles. I did a lot of uh, balance things. I incentivized him. I'd put blocks across the, a blanket and put them in one corner and I'd cheer him on to crawl across the blanket to knock over the blocks. And I would go crazy. And she's like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> like this parenting thing is a lot of work. But I was in the presence of this mom not too far after that, where her 16 month old who couldn't walk was sitting up. And he went to go reach and go get a block that was two or three feet away from him. And when he went to go do it, I watched the mother just get it for him and hand it to him. Wow. She, she's not allowing that child to exercise the muscles needed to walk. And if you're always giving something to a child and the child never has to work for it, guess what? They're not going to be able to grow. And it just brings me to the analogy of a plant, right? If you always water a plant, the roots never have to go deep. And if they don't have to go deep, you don't get stability. You get a weak plant. Sometimes a plant even doesn't need to be watered every day because the roots need to go down and search for the water so it could be strong and weather storms. Mm. I love that analogy. That's great. Ryan, what's your favorite thing about parenting? <laughs> uh, wow, that's, that's such a broad question that I don't even... No, but I think if I had to answer it, nobody's ever asked me that question, so I appreciate the question. I think it's the little moments... I think it's 
for me. I do try to spend time and intentionality with my kids, and I think they love it so much. I think the first thing in the morning, if, if I had to just describe it, the first thing in the morning on a weekend where my three-year-old gets up around 6.30 and he crawls into bed with me, and then not too far after that, his older brother crawls on the other side, and both of them just snuggle with me. And the reason they do that, because they feel safe and they feel loved and they want to. I actually felt a little bad on Mother's Day this year because I went away for a five-day trip. I actually flew in Mother's Day and I got home about one o'clock in the morning on Mother's Day. And (laughs) my boys on Mother's Day, and they knew it was Mother's Day, came into the room and they both came in at the same time knowing I'd be home. And, And they jumped in the bed and it was just silence. And they just hugged me because they missed me. And I think being able to pour into my boys in a way that they want to spend time with me, then I had to whisper to them, hey, go tell mom happy Mother's Day and give her a hug too. Uh, But it's those little moments, even my nine-year-old, this may sound weird, but we have a great relationship and I felt weird about it maybe at at age five. Maybe that's when my dad wasn't in my life. But my nine-year-old still walks at the baseball field around all of his buddies who are 9, 10, and 11, hold my hand. And I allow him to do it because he wants to. And I know there's going to be a day where he doesn't hold my hand, but it's those moments of I'm connected to you, Dad. I love you. I know you got my back. I think that's what I love most about being a parent. Ah, beautiful answer. I love that. So I'd love to know, how is a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? So I don't believe in failure. So that's another good question. And some people say, what do you mean you don't believe in failure? I think the only way we ever fail is if we quit. Because in order to get success, there's going to be failures, right? Nobody, I think this is one of the biggest challenges. I have a new client coming on. And this was a conversation just yesterday. As She goes, I don't know how to do X, Y, Z. And when I get into a room of other people who understand it, I feel inferior, like I, I should know this stuff. I said, that's the biggest challenge with us as adults is we get to a certain age and we think we're supposed to know everything. And we only really know what we've studied or what we put a tremendous amount of time into. Uh, whatever that is becomes our expertise, our career. Uh, but so many people put emphasis on, I should know that. I'm like You should know how to be a parent. I told you, when I became a parent, I started studying it. Because I had never been a parent before. And I had an amazing mom in so many ways, but I didn't know how to be a dad. And at the core, some of the things my mom did, I didn't didn't resonate with me, right? I'm a man. That's what women do. So I needed to find out how to be a better version of a father than what I had. And I had to study other great people. To be successful in anything, you must study other great people. And if you study the most successful people in the world at anything, they failed thousands and thousands of times. I'll give you a simple example of that. Michael Jordan, most people think he's the greatest basketball player in the world. A lot of people know that he was cut from his high school base, uh, basketball team, which is like, how can they do that? Well, what most people don't know is Michael Jordan, from that time he got cut to about the third year in the NBA, he would not go to bed until he made a 1,000 shots. Not took a 1,000 shots, but made a 1,000 shots. So is he like the best basketball war- in, player in the world? And I get you. I bet you he failed a lot in that. Or is it because he was just persistent and didn't quit? 
So when you ask me what is my favorite failure, I think I don't know that I have a favorite failure because I don't believe in the word, but my favorite part of my desire to be a great dad is knowing I'm going to fail and then I continue to show up. So here's what's coming to me on this. Every time I fail in a way that I know affects my child, my my greatest gift back to them is that I'm willing to tell them that I made a mistake, that I'm human, and that I'm sorry, and then I don't expect forgiveness, but I ask forgiveness. It's mm. powerful. So Ryan, what's one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And feel free to take the word investments as broadly as you like. Bitcoin <laughs> early on. <laughs> Um, uh -uh. when I say early on, early on, but outside of the investment, I think it's just an investment in myself to look to, to genuinely look myself in the mirror and try to find my blind spots. This is not a plug for a coach, but I have mentors and coaches in my life who recognize my blind spots when I can't and are authentic enough to themselves and to me to share them with me even though it may hurt sometimes so that I can better myself. So an investment in myself, an investment in others who I can trust who are professionals to allow me to grow into a better version of myself so that I could be a better version of myself for those around me and those people I care about most, that being my wife and my children. And how have you found mentors and advisors throughout your career? Oh, for me, when I was about to become a dad, I, w I got caught in the real estate uh, bubble back in 2008. And when I was doing and flipping houses and doing that, I went to a seminar one time and it was called an MMI, Millionaire Mind Intensive. And I remember them telling me that I had to spend money to get coaches and, and it was expensive. And I remember thinking, man, I'm just going to go out and buy another house right now. And I left the seminar early until I was subjected to the downfall and had to file bankruptcy for myself to the tune of uh, $1.3 million. And I re always remember that seminar thinking I thought I knew it all and I realized I didn't. So for me, I went back to one of these seminars years later and I found uh, a, a program that I invested a significant amount of money into. And in that, w once you become part of a, a world where there's coaches and things of that nature, I personally am just surrounded by it. Now, I don't have too many people in my life that don't invest in themselves in that way. And they say you become the six people that are closest to you. I surround myself with some pretty amazing people who are willing to look themselves in the mirror truthfully and say, how can I get better? Where are my blind spots? I love that. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Wow, man, I don't even know where these questions are coming from, but they're good ones. <laughs> oh, man. Man, I wish you would have prepped me on this question. What <laughs> I'm picturing, and I'm a very visual person, and, and, and it, this doesn't depict what it would say, but I wish people would really, truly look themselves in the mirror. So I actually picture a big billboard with a big reflection. And if you could go up on it, see yourself and say, look yourself in the mirror and honestly find your blind spots. Because I think so many people hide from things. People aren't vulnerable. People have skeletons in the closets. And when you become vulnerable and you really start knowing who you are 
when you start facing those demons for me, that was finally admitting that I had a lot of shame around being abandoned by my father. My friends as a kid didn't know that was my struggle. Uh, I didn't really invite friends over to my house as a kid just because I was ashamed that I didn't have that leave it to beaver if you would family. But when I was able to release myself from that because I started looking myself in the mirror and dealing with stuff, I think I became a better version of myself for me and ultimately for my family and my kids. I don't know if that answered your question, my friend, but no, it does. That's actually, that's one of the more unique answers I've gotten. Cause now I'm just picturing, oh man, like we should probably not on like highways, cause like sun yeah. glare or something, but like in cities and, and other places, we don't really, other than like the reflection of a building, like a, a glass window or something like that, we don't really have mirrors like around in public. And I could even imagine doing like a whole campaign of it, like where maybe there are like, like you're saying, like little questions or something on it where it's just, Hey, you're, you go and you look at yourself in the mirror and you read this question and it's just people reflect on that i think that could be a really i could see that being a really impactful so when you, thing when it becomes hugely successful i only want 10 <laughs> percent. <you> <laughs> so ryan i'd love to hear uh like one to three books that have greatly influenced your life one to three books i am a man of faith so the bible after that one book that i reference a lot in my coaching is how to win friends and influence people because I think that book uh, is a solid foundation to really building strong, genuine relationships. Some people might read it and go, oh, this is fake, but it really becomes ingrained in you if you take those lessons to heart. One of, the, one of the best things I love about that book is it says read a chapter and implement it for a week and then read the next chapter and implement that. It doesn't say, hey, I'm so awesome. Read me and you're going to become an awesome person. It asks you in the book to implement those strategies in your life and then I, I can't even think of the, the title there's so many books but because we're talking about parenting i forget what it was the expectant father i read it when i was about to become a dad and the thing i love about this book because women are so hormonal during the pregnancy period is when i started reading it i thought my wife was taking things out on me like why are you mad so she's going through this hormonal change and the book actually takes you day by day and week by week and month by month and breaks down. And I remember one day, maybe at the end of the first trimester, where she, she like was like on me. But I had just read the chapter in the book about where she was. And it said she could potentially do this. And I was like, man, the book said it was going to happen today. And it did. So I'm cool. It's not about me. It's about the change. And I think so many men are going through like that experience, not understanding that this is just hormonal. Uh, and that her body's going through a tremendous amount of change. And if you could just understand that, like that pregnancy for you, and I think a lot of men struggle with it, went so much smoother. And even my second son, it, it was a breeze because I didn't take anything personal because this happens to every man dealing with a pregnancy, not just not just me. I wasn't unique to that situation. Oh, totally. I mean, there's even you know studies showing that it then brings on hormonal changes in men which like basically never gets discussed and never gets acknowledged and stuff and it's okay like you're going through this like really intense thing together and having very different experiences of it but you're also because like men will get like sympathy pregnancy mm -hmm. symptoms some like, men get like morning sympathy. sickness yeah morning sickness stuff like all kinds of crazy stuff i mean it's the human body and then the brain it's just like, it's totally wild but there's so much like subconscious stuff going on throughout a pregnancy and so much energy being exchanged that we don't 
really acknowledge in the mainstream culture and stuff that people just gut it and deal with it and think, yeah, this woman's crazy or this guy's crazy or my husband's terrible. And it's just, yeah, if you have things like that, that can be like, hey, <laughs> this is going to be intense, but you're going to get through it and don't take anything personally. And you'll come out at the end, like all the better for it. Yeah, but you can't read that book after the pregnancy. As you're going through the process or before the process. And it, number one chapter in my book about be, being the dad you wish you had is educate yourself with everything you possibly can. And and for that expectant father, why not read a book that's called The Expectant Father? <laughs> mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so much great stuff. I remember coming across uh, Happiest Baby on the Block, I think it was, it talks about the first three months of a child's life is actually like a fourth trimester, but like from an evolutionary perspective, like you can't grow a human for another three months because they'll be too big to actually birth. But then yeah. you need to like approach that first three months is like, this is basically still a fetus. Essentially, there's a lot of different stuff that's going to go on that you have to maintain. Like they really want to have that like still in the womb kind of experience. That's why like soothing things and swinging and, and other things that like can simulate that can really be impactful and even help like really colicky babies and other babies that might have some real problems in that period. Yeah. So Ryan, this has been a fascinating and illuminating, illuminating conversation. Always love speaking with other parents who are on the path of positive parenting and, and, you know, some like yourself where you're really a force multiplier coaching people in it and getting that message out there. I think that's, I would say, thank you for your service. Like it's incredible work. Cool. So that brings me to my final question of the day. And that is what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? For me, you mentioned love languages a little bit earlier and I, I can't pinpoint, maybe I will, as I just talk it out loud. I, I think People being in gratitude, you just did it. You're like, hey, thank you for your service. I think a simple thank you is the kindest thing anybody could give when somebody genuinely does something for them. It's And it's so subtle. And, and so many people, I, I would encourage people, I coach people on this all the time, don't brush it off. So many times somebody will say thank you. And you just said to me, and what did I say? It's my pleasure. It, it's become a subconscious thing for me to acknowledge it. Hey, it's my pleasure. I receive that. So many people will say, oh, it's not that big a deal. Oh, it's no problem. Oh, that's what I always do. Oh, you deserved it. When somebody thanks you genuinely, give them the gift of acknowledging it and receiving it. And I, I think that's probably the kindest gesture that I get a lot that has taken me a lot of work and introspect to be able to receive those thank yous because I used to be that guy and sometimes still am who brushes it off. Oh, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. You did something, somebody acknowledge you, receive it. So that'd be my answer. Oh, great answer. I love that. Again, thank you so much for joining me today, Ryan. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. So today's episode was brought to you by marketingforattorneys.com. If you're an attorney looking to grow your law firm and ditch the crowded field of pay-per-click advertising, then visit marketingforattorneys.com to book your free consultation today. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. And if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. 
For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash the LUE podcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Yes.